empowers Jesus to do the mission of the coming servant king of God, which we know began at, at Jesus' baptism. And, and he does the mission that, that had failed and had begun in, in the garden. Jesus becomes the new Adam. He's come to do what Adam had failed to do. And so Jesus is doing the work of the suffering servant. And we saw this last week, right? And we saw that Jesus is his teaching. Jesus is, is healing people of their diseases and their sicknesses and of, their, um, of demon possession, these unclean spirits. And we, we talked about this, the authority of Jesus over the physical realm, over the spiritual realm. He is king. Jesus is the king of all things. Uh, and, and so this is very important as we, we move into this. So let's go into our text, into uh, Mark chapter 1. And if you look at verse 35, listen to what he says. And remember, he just came off this day of healing and so forth. And it says, and rising early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place. So this desolate place he's talking about here uh, is a word that we've seen twice in the Greek already in chapter 1. One of those came from verse 4, where John appeared baptizing in the wilderness. It's the same word for wilderness, desolate place. It's also where Jesus went when he was being tempted. And we talked about this, and we, we said, look, the, the, the Hebrew text, that narratives that we find there, it shows the wilderness as a place of deliverance. It shows it as a place to be in the presence of God, right? We just we see this over and over again. And here is another great example here in our text. And Jesus goes to be with God in the wilderness. He goes to this desolate place, right? Now, Mark records Jesus praying three times, okay? And in those three times, one is here. It's after a day of teaching and healing. The other time is after he feeds the 5,000 plus. We'll see that when we get there. And the other time is Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. And it's right before his arrest, his, his trial, and his crucifixion. And in all three of these, what would you say is happening, either before or about to happen? These are big events. These are stress events. These, there's tension in all of these. Uh, exhaustion, I think, that you're going to find in all of these. And so here we see this, this is when Jesus, that wouldn't be the only time, but for Mark, these are the three times that, that he points these things out. Now, here's my question. The question is, why? If Jesus is God... If he is the divine king, why is he praying to the Father? Why does he need to pray to the Father? This is one element of Jesus. There's a second element.
And I think that's a part of things, but I think it's way beyond that. Jesus is also human. Jesus is also human. We sometimes refer to this as what? Do what? Well, no, not the Godhead. Incarnation. You ever heard of that big word? Some of you are like, uh, yeah, I've heard that word. What does it mean? It means when, when, when deity has taken on the, this human form. So the incarnation of God is Jesus coming in the flesh. Jesus comes in the person of Jesus uh, Jesus Christ. Now go over to Philippians. I want to show you something. Philippians chapter 2. And this really is one of the, uh, one of the best texts in, in showing forth what we're talking about here. If I can get there. Keep passing it. So chapter 2, listen to what he says, beginning in verse 6. He says, who, though he was in the form of God, okay, in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant. Some of you probably have a little marginal notes that says slave. That's actually a better word. Uh, for this, this word. In other words, he takes on the form of a human being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death uh, on the cross. So, so what we find here is the pre-existent state um, Pre-existent stage of Jesus, right? And then it talks about his lowly um, stage or status, whatever you want to put there. Now, Philippians goes on and tells us a little bit more. Uh, he goes on in verse 9, he says, Therefore God has highly exalted him. And notice, therefore... In other words, because of what Jesus does in this pre-existent and lowly stage, and especially in going and dying on the cross, it says what? It says that it will be bestowed upon him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So what he's talking about is this final um, exalted, if I can spell it, this final exalted stage of Jesus. And that's going to come with his, um, with his enthronement. It, it, where he's sitting at the right hand of I cannot wait to get to next week. Cannot wait to get to next week. Because in there, I just, oh man, I want to talk about this so bad, but I'm not. But G Jesus refers to himself as the son of man more than anything else. And where that comes from is going to, it's just, it's mind-blowing. Ethel, 
Oh, I think so. Yes, yes. No, I mean, look. All right, let's talk about it. Jesus, Jesus is fully human. And I don't think we, we really, it's hard for us to grasp the, the humanity of Jesus sometimes, right? Uh, especially after we just come off of this where he's casting out demons and he's healing people and, and all of this kind of stuff. And especially what we saw in the very beginning, remember from Isaiah 40? <sighs> Yahweh coming down on the road that has been prepared. And, I mean, it's just like mind-boggling. But if Jesus is in human form, what kind of things did he deal with? Come on, you're human. Fatigue, hunger. What? Betrayal. What's that? Thirst. Temptation. You know, a lot of people, they don't, they're like, well, Jesus wasn't really tempted. Yes, he was. Otherwise, what's the purpose? Okay, what about depression? Did you, was Jesus ever depressed? If you don't believe it, Read, read his account in the, in the Gethsemane. Jesus was troubled. Jesus, Jesus came through a birth canal, folks. So we see this humanity of Jesus. He is both God and he is human. That's who Jesus is. Um, now, and, and, and let me say this. Um, he was just like us, except in one point. What? He never sinned, right? Uh, that's not it. Um, well, the point I was going to make with this is that he, he became the opposite of Adam, right? Adam was created a human, although Jesus was not created. He's God. He's always been. But he became like God. He was made in the image of God. And we're sometimes scared to say that, but this is, that's huge. And it's really huge when you read the story about subduing the earth, dominion, uh, and everything else. Totally botched that whole thing. But anyway, but God becomes human. You see this. So Isaiah says, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteem him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his stripes we are healed, and we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. That could not happen if Jesus had not been human. I once had a guy, this has been several years ago, and he said, Jesus didn't, he didn't believe in the idea that Jesus dripped blood. He said, because he's God. I said, yeah, but he's, but he's also human. No, that's, I mean, he was adamant. He was like, you're, you're teaching a false doctrine. No, no. We're supposed to get that. It's just, it's hard for us to get that sometimes. Because we know the Jesus in the final exalted stage, right? Mark draws from the lowly stage. This is where he's coming from. Uh, and, and I think it's very um, important. Why did Jesus go to a desolate place to talk to the Father? Why? Yeah. Yeah. 
Let me ask you this. Do you always feel compassionate towards people? Do you always feel like helping people? I'll I'll let you in on a little secret. Preachers don't either. We don't. There's a human side to us. There's a fallen side. Sometimes we feel so compassionate towards people, and then other times we're just not feeling it. You know what I'm saying? Just not feeling it. Jesus was fully human. I believe this had everything to do with what's happening. Because in order for Jesus to do the mission, the outer part of what he has come to do He also had to pay attention to this inner part with the Father. And we we could even say with the Spirit. But I think here what we're looking at is the Father. In other words, to accomplish the mission of the Father, there's got to be a relation with the Father. I've got to come to Him to talk to Him about those things that are going on in my life. I've got to go to Him to get recharged. If I'm going to be compassionate in the mission to accomplish it the way God wants me to, I got, I've got to be here. And I think Jesus knew that. And I think that's why Jesus drew off of this because you're going to find out this morning it's hard to be compassionate towards some people. It just is. Uh, and, and, and so what we find here um, is that he prayed. And we often hear of prayer and we say there's different types of prayers. This word means to make request, to ask of God. What what does he ask? (laughs) It's Luke. I mean, it's Mark. Mark doesn't tell us, right? Mark never tells us details. Um, But we don't know. Maybe he's praying for power. Maybe he's praying for guidance. Maybe he's praying for strength after a long day from the day before. Um, the, the important thing that Mark wants us to see is that he goes to a desolate place in order to commune with the Father. That's, that's the important thing that I believe that we see here. It is so far off the beaten path that we're going to find out they are searching for Jesus. In fact, let's go ahead and get into that aspect. Um, somebody read for us verses 36 and 37. All right, so Jesus is having some alone time with the Father, and he's interrupted. He's interrupted by Simon Peter and some others. Uh, Why is he there? What has he come to tell Jesus? Yeah, Uh, the people. What people? People in Capernaum, people that he had just healed, and, and, and all this kind of thing. And they're looking for him. Now, let me ask you this. Why is Peter there, really? What does he want? He wants Jesus to go back, right? He wants Jesus to go back. In fact, Mark is really kind of telling us something that um, uh, with some of these words. And, And let me say this. It seems reasonable. Where's Mark? Where is uh, Simon Peter from? He's from Capernaum. This is his hometown. He knew these people. 
He's never seen these people so excited. Folks, this sounds reasonable. What Mark tells us with this word searched, this, this is a word that means an attempt to determine and to control. So just because someone is searching for Jesus doesn't mean that it's positive. Doesn't mean that it's for the right reason. And we say, well, I would think that would be positive. He's trying to determine and control where Jesus is to do mission. Okay, you see this. Peter's going to do this again, and I'll give you a hint as to where it will be. Jesus says to him, get behind me, Satan. It's another time he tries to control Jesus' mission. And is that hard for us, not to try to control the mission that God has for us, for his work? Sure, sure it is. And so this is, oh, this is really is, is what we see happening. So let's investigate another word he uses. It's the word looking. To try to learn where something is, to look for, to try to find. And you're like, okay, now you're just making us sound like idiots. No, no, no. I get it. I know, what you, I know you mean what looking means. The reason we, we are going to look at this word is because sometimes if you look, whenever that wor a certain word is used, it tells you as to how the author is using that word. This word is used 10 times in the, in the Gospel of Mark as it refers to the crowds, to people. And it's always negative. It's always negative. In fact, two of those times, it's of interference and obstruction of his ministry. Two of those times, it's because of people's unbelief and faithlessness. And then six times has to do with those who want to attempt to uh, have Jesus killed. So what we need to understand here is a crowd's enthusiasm does not always define faith. Okay, you see that? Just because a crowd is enthusiastic about Jesus doesn't necessarily mean that they trust Jesus. It's, it's the kind of faith that Jesus is looking for. In fact, what do you think, why do you think the crowd is looking for Jesus? I think so. I, I, and I think that for that reason is why what, how Jesus is going to react to all of this. But I think they're wanting to see another miracle. Uh, I, I, Jesus is going to say something here in just a second that's going to show us that they were really not interested so much in what Jesus has to say as what he can do. And, and sometimes we see people out here and they, they deny uh, God, because God doesn't do what, he what they want God to do for them. That's not faith. Uh, faith is when we trust that whatever comes down the line, I trust you. Father, what mission do you want me to be in? Okay, so let's keep going. Somebody read for us verses 38 and 39. All right, so why, why doesn't Jesus go back to Capernaum? He doesn't go back. 
Why doesn't he go back when Peter comes out there looking, searching for him? Yeah, I think so. I think he knows. And based on really what he said uh, he had to say, I think he, they are looking for another miracle. They're not looking for Jesus' words. He said, this is why I'm here. This is why I'm here. He's come to tell about the kingdom of God. The kingdom is near. He says, repent. Trust in good news. So Jesus isn't interested in entertaining the crowds. That's just not what he does. He is not a sideshow. He is God. And he's not going to be treated like that. So Jesus goes um, to a desolate place to prepare himself and through prayer for his mission to proclaim the good news to all of Israel. The message cannot um, be stationary. Jesus is going to become a nomad. Uh, Jesus is, he's going to travel all over the place. Capernaum is going to be his headquarters. Capernaum is where he says this is home. But Jesus is going to go all over the place. Jesus can't just stay in one spot and just become the minister to the people at the Capernaum church. Right? And, and we wouldn't want that. Unless, of course, we were in Capernaum. So anyway, look again at verse 39. Did you find anything interesting in verse 39? Do what? Okay, yeah. That shouldn't be too unusual. Casting out demons in the synagogue again. Is that not bizarre? It's not just Capernaum. It's other places he's going, and he's casting out demons in the synagogue. And the real question is, why? Why, why, are, why are demons so comfortable there? And I think a lot of it had to do that with in the synagogues at that time, and especially among a lot of, not necessarily all of them, but a lot of the religious elite, um, it had just come down to form and ritual. Uh, it seems maybe Satan has somehow gotten control of the synagogues. And, and that should be a real eye-opening for us. Right? Can, can Satan be heavily involved in the church? Can he be heavily involved in the leadership? Yes. Yes. Listen, I mean... You know, I'm on a network of preachers. I hear a lot of different things. It is amazing. It is amazing things that you find out of what happens in leadership of churches. And it's one of those things, you know, Solomon said, there's nothing new under the sun. And every once in a while, I'm like, okay, I think I've heard something new. <laughs> Folks, demons were very comfortable in synagogues. They hung out there. Okay, so regardless, we see that this is a group of people who need to go to the wilderness where John was, right? They, need, they had needed to get out there. They needed to repent. They, they needed to be baptized. That, that's what these people needed. So again, Mark doesn't give us 
details on all of this, except for the fact that when Jesus showed up, the kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness goes to battle. And every time, guess who wins when Jesus is present? The kingdom of light. It's breaking into the darkness. That kingdom is breaking into the darkness. All right, let's keep going. Um, let's see. Somebody read verses 40 through 42. Okay, whoa, we got a leper now, we got a leper. Now, Mark, I know it's going to be shocking, he doesn't give us a lot of details. <laughs> uh, I love what one commentator said, he said, just like an elaborate frame can detract from a great painting, Mark regularly omits contextual details so as not to detract from the essential focus of the narrative. Pretty cool. Great, great observation. Leprosy, folks, it was an epidemic in the land. And, and when we think of leprosy, you know, we've seen, some of you have probably seen pictures before. It's just an awful thing. But you need to understand, when they, when they understood leprosy, and you can, we're going to, in fact, go to Le Leviticus chapter 13. We're going to look at a few things in Leviticus this morning. So if you can hold your place in Mark and look at Leviticus 13 at the same time, uh, that's great. But when you go there, um, it, this is referring to leprosy, it refers to boils, to burns, itches, ringworm, scalp conditions. The scribes had 72 different actions, uh, or afflictions rather, that is defined as leprosy. So besides this horrible disease, these people had to be ostracized. How were they ostracized? Yeah, had to stay outside. In fact, look at Leviticus 13, verse 45 says, The leprous person who has the disease shall wear torn clothes and let the hair of his head hang loose, and he shall cover his upper lip and cry out, Unclean, unclean. He shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. Is that difficult? Think it'd be difficult to be a leper? What? All right, so he loses his health, or she. What else do they lose? What is that? Family. What else? Friends? Yeah, where they're living? What about uh, finances? They're, they're, they can only beg. That's all they can do. Um, and so it, it's really difficult when we, we start looking at them. And so to make sure that no one would approach them accidentally, they, they, they had to dress in such a way that was really kind of an offensive look. You know, don't want to go near that person. In fact, Josephus, Josephus was, um, he was a writer. He was a historian during the time of Jesus, okay? So he doesn't write in the Bible. He's not even a Christian. He just writes about the happenings in that particular day and time. And one of the things he said is leper, lepers were in no way differing from a corpse. 
And the rabbis really kind of took what Aaron says about his sister and the fact she had leprosy and she says, and let her not be one as dead. And so the rabbis, they saw them as, um, as the living dead. That's kind of how they referred to lepers. They were like the living dead. And, and their cure was, was going to be just as hard as raising the dead. That's, this was just a terrible thing that happened. So this disease would make a person who was clean, holy, to be unholy, to be unclean. Now, other illnesses, other illnesses, people had to be, um, they need to be healed. What does it say of a leper? They had to be cleansed, Right? And when you go all throughout Leviticus, it never says, come to the priest. And these were, these were for the priests, okay? Leviticus is for the priests. It never says anything about healing anybody. They couldn't do that. All they could do is pronounce someone clean or unclean. And even, even in these first six verses, look at this, of the leper in our text. Uh, you know, he says, he comes to Jesus and he says in verse 40, you can make me clean. Jesus says, I will be clean. The next verse, the next verse, it says that he made him clean. And then in verse 43, he's sending him uh, to the priest to get cleansing. You see this? It never says anything about healing. It all, it's all about being cleansed because that's what's happening here. So despite the law, the law of Leviticus, this, um, and despite their... Um, their rabbinic teachings, and the rabbinic teachings uh, would take these certain laws and then they would kind of supply other laws, and, and what they would say is, you can't even come within 50 paces of someone who is clean. What does this guy do? He, he's close enough for Jesus to touch him. He approaches Jesus. He, he can make Jesus unclean, others unclean. In fact, uh, in fact, Leviticus 13 show you something else, or chapter 14 actually. In verse 34, it says, When you come into the land of Canaan, which I give you as a possession, and I put a case of leprous disease in a house in the land of your possession, then he who owns the house shall come and tell the priest, there seems to me to be some case of disease in my house. Then the priest shall command that they empty the house before the priest goes to examine this, the disease, lest all that is in the house be declared unclean, blah, 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 keeps going. A leper in a house can make the whole house unclean. And the Talmud, which is were the oral laws of these, these rabbis and so forth in the time, and they became written, that's what the Talmud is. And in the Talmud... They even said that if a leper had passed under a tree, if somebody came and passed under that same tree, that that would make them unclean. They took this very seriously. In fact, in fact, the, uh, the rabbis took great pride in the fact that they don't get near lepers. And here is this rabbi, and, and we're going to see that he does something that's just crazy. But this man comes, and he is on his knees. You see this? This man's desperate to come, to come as close as he does to Jesus. 
but he believes that he has the authority to heal. He has this authority over this physical realm. He's heard what Jesus has been doing, and he wants to be clean. So what is Jesus' response? What does it say before he heals him? What is that? He touches him before that. No, 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 no. Uh, yeah, yeah, right before that. What does it say? He's moved with pity. or compa- Anybody have something different than, than pity or compassion? Does anybody have a marginal note? Okay, this is fascinating. Okay, this is really kind of fascinating stuff. Um, because, and I looked it up in three different, uh, my best word sources. And each one says that particular Greek word means uh, to be or become angry and feel dislike and opposition for something. Does that sound right? That that just doesn't sound right, does it? Folks, this comes from one of the oldest and most important manuscripts that we have of Mark. Now, what's interesting is Mark was written first, Matthew and Luke will be written later, and they give this same account, but they completely omit the word. They completely omit the word. They don't even put that in there. Uh, Copy has tended to change difficult readings for something, uh, for a more acceptable one, okay? And, and it's a lot like translations, folks. It's a lot like translations. That's what we do with translations. And so anger, uh, anger, first of all, may not be as offensive as it sounds, especially when we put it in light to things like Judges 10, verse 16, John eleven thirty three. 33, um, where we see that someone is troubled, they're upset, but what they're upset about is what that person's going through. And it's very possible Jesus is angry that, that here is this, this humanity that's having to go through this. The other thought is something that we just talked about, the humanity of Jesus. Okay? Um, and as we keep reading, you're going to see that This idea of Jesus being angry, it continues, okay? We'll see that in just a minute. Um, So maybe his human side is upset with this man. And you're like, why would he be upset? Of course, Mark doesn't tell us. Uh, But uh, one aspect is is the fact that, you know, he may be really, uh, he knows what this man's thoughts are. And we're going to see this man does not do what Jesus asked him to do. We're going to see that in just a minute as well. So maybe there's something to that. So maybe his human side is upset with this man, knowing his thoughts. But the divine side of God is that he is gracious. He is is a God of passion and, and, and pity and so forth. And that he is a God that even though someone doesn't deserve this healing... He, he's going to heal this man. And, and one thing I want you to understand is just because we have a tension between right and wrong doesn't mean that we've sinned. The part is what we do with it. So it's very possible Jesus is having a tension here. Okay? But regardless, let's look at verses 43 through 45 of the text. 
And it says, and Jesus sternly charged, what's that? Sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, see that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. Um, but he went out and began to talk freely about it and spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was in desolate places. And people were uh, coming to him from, from every quarter. What is your impression from these verses? Hey, Mike. Do you mind closing that door over here? Okay, yeah, that's fine. If you, if it just, it just ha can't latch. That's the biggest thing. Um, I'm just thinking about how much I'm gonna sweat in a minute. Uh, thank you. Uh, okay, here's what I want you to see. Oh, it's time to go. He sternly charged this man. Look at this word. It comes from a Greek word, literally means snorting, which comes from the Hebrew word for anger, meaning to flare the nostrils. Why is Jesus, and by the way, he also sent him away, right? Um, and this sent away is a term that was used for expelling demons. In other words, he sends him packing. So why is it so important that Jesus is saying to them and angrily snorting at the man do not tell anyone. Just go to the priest and show them that you're cleansed. Why is this so important? Yeah, and, and definitely to a point of he, he's not going to do what Jesus told him to do. But here's some things here. One is Jesus doesn't work miracles to become a celebrity healer. Jesus didn't care about that, Okay. And, and that's what Peter would like for Jesus to have been. Because, hey, it draws crowds. The other thing is Jesus doesn't trust someone's faith based on wonders. Why do you not trust someone's faith based on wonders? Guess what happens when you get the first wonder? You wonder where the other wonder is. I just made that up. Uh, the other thing is Jesus needs more time to move about, to preach the good news. So Jesus demands the man show himself to the priest and offer up the proper sacrifice. And, and that's interesting, folks. That goes to Leviticus chapter 14. We don't have time to read it, but in verses 2 through 4, it really talks about this. This Levitical cleansing was a procedure for pronouncing someone to be healed. Now, it did not provide healing. Jesus provided both. Folks, that's just, that's incredible. Now, again, why, if Jesus healed him and cleansed him, that's what Mark says, why does he tell him to go to the priest? Do what? Right? Well, let me ask you this. Who pronounced him unclean? The priest. So guess what? When, when he is pronounced clean, he is given a written bill of, of health. 
And you know what the priests do? They certify Jesus' miracle. But here's, here's the other thing I want you to see. We've seen the authority of Jesus. See, he is the king. He's the one who has come down. And now all of a sudden we see something else about Jesus. He is the great high priest. And he's greater because not only can he cleanse, but he heals. And when you go sometime to, to the book of Hebrews, you see that. It talks about Jesus being the high priest of God. It's, in fact, go, go read Hebrews later on. It'll just, it just, you see this a little bit more than, uh, than what we see here. All right, so how well did the man keep this silence? He didn't. And, and he came in such sincerity and humility, and he totally disregards the Lord's instructions. What was the result? Was that overcome by people? How much so? He can't even go back into the towns. He has to stay where? Desolate places. Do you see irony? Mark loves to use irony. What's the irony? Where was the leper? Outside in the desolate places. He now has been cleansed. He has been healed. He now can come into the town. Jesus, who was going from town to town and in and out of synagogues, guess where he is now? In the desolate places. He trade places. He trade places. All right. I can hear people gathering, so uh, we'll consider this uh, the end until our worship time. Thank you.